Welcome to Sand Pebbles. The purpose of this series is to make philosophy accessible and understandable to the working public. I have here our resident theologian, Harvard theologian, Harvard philosopher and Buddhist, Dr. Hogan. And he has some rebuttal or objections to my comments regarding truth and ethics. Yeah, we'll start with your first talk, which involved the law of non-contradiction, which says, from Aristotle, something cannot be and not be at the same time. And the way to introduce my rebuttal would be to start with Hegel, because they won't understand Buddhism right away. Hegel, it's often called that his logic is thesis antithesis, which is negation, and then synthesis, which fuses the negation into a new thesis which is, of course, quite different from Buddhism. But the point is that in Hegel, first you'd have a negation of a statement and then a negation of the negation. And that's what matters for Buddhism. In Buddhism, are certain Buddhist logics, Madhyamaka, I'm thinking now of Bhava Viveka, the great 7th century Buddhist logician, improved Hegel. And he made it negation and negation of negation without a synthesis. In other words, he, he made it such that nothing was left except what already occurred. And the, the best explanation of this Buddhist logic that I've ever seen was actually in a movie. A British company did movies about religion. I don't remember the name of the, of the company or the movie, but I remember the event. And when they were trying to explain negation and negation of negation, what they did was they used a, a tea ceremony, which is, of course, classically Buddhist, a tea ceremony. Essentially, they showed you that first you have a teacup on the table, and then it's gone. And we can talk about Hegel's moments or the Buddhist moments. It's one, two, three. In the first moment, the teacup is on the table. In the second moment, it's gone, and you don't see it. And then in the third moment, it comes back. <laughs> So when I saw this, I asked my Buddhist mentor at Harvard, I said, what's the difference between the second moment and the, and the third moment? And he had a good answer. He said, the teacup is back, but it's back as, as having been gone as well. In other words, the teacup in the third moment, after negation and negation of negation, is merely there. The word mere. M-E-R-E. The teacup is merely there, which allows you to see a double exposure. Think of photography. You can see at the same time, the cup is both there and not there, and merely there. So you can use it, but you're, you're not attached to it. You don't think that it will always be there. And that goes to a third point, and then you can respond, Val. Third point is, or the fourth point, I suppose, the major phrase in Buddhism is dukkha, dukkha, dukkha. Now I have to explain more, but I'll do it later. Dukkha, dukkha, dukkha. All is suffering. Nothing lasts. Everything is impermanent. And that's the core of Buddhist perception. But let's go back to the, the three moments, Val. What's your response? You're letting words become more real than reality. If I look at this table and call it a non-chair... In a way, I'm creating a negation of it. It's a table, it's a non-chair, and then when I use it to shoot poo on it, it's a pool table. But in all three situations, it's still a table. Just because you give it separate words, 
you're not making it be and not be. I mean, that's that's my whole problem with. No, no, no. Let me let me let me finish at this point. I don't think Hegel rejects contradiction principles of contradiction. No, Hegel doesn't. I mean, if you have A and B, and in reality, for some reason, become C, then you have C. You know, it's not that A and B are both not and not there at the same time. They've just become something else, C, and you apply the principle of contradiction to C. But my problem with Buddhism is, and as I think you've clearly shown just now, is you're giving more reality to the words that you use to describe reality than the reality. No. How about my example? I have a table here. It's a non-chair. So what I have here is a non-chair that is also a table. I mean, and once I put cue balls on it, I now have a pool table. Wow. It's become through non-negation. It's become a third beam. I mean, I can do that yes. too. Yes. It's still a table. <laughs> yes. If you're Hegelian, you're correct. But remember, I only discuss Hegel to get to Buddhist logic. Buddhist logic is way beyond Hegel. The point is, I think Buddhist logic is BS. Is what I think it is. Oh, yeah, I know. You, I know you think that, but but the point is that your table, whatever it is, including a pool table, ultimately will not exist, and that's the point of Buddhism. Everything ultimately does not exist. Right, but when it's not existing, you can't say no. it's also existing. It's not existing. What they're saying is. Correct perception understands that while it is a table and a pool table, it will also ultimately not exist. So it both is and is not no. ultimately. No, ultimately. Right, <laughs> right now it's a table. Someday it's going to be, I don't know, ashes. But right now it's not both a table and ashes. It's a table. Now that's a good. That's a good rebuttal. It's a good rebuttal. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I admit your version sounds more beautiful and, and more pleasant. I mean, it's more, <laughs> no, it's more poetic. I mean, I, I understand why people like Buddhism. You know, in order to be one with the universe, you have to accept its wholeness. And to accept its wholeness, you understand the oneness of everyone, that we're all part of the whole. I mean, it's very beautiful language. That's why, you know, poetry is so seductive. But it's still friggin' poetry. You know, it's reality still is reality. Whatever you want to call it, non-chair, non-wall, non-whatever, it's still a friggin' table. <laughs> uh, that's good, that's good. That's the best rebuttal you've ever given me. But let me uh, fill out Buddhism before this podcast ends. In the Near Eastern religions, there is a creator God, and Buddhism denies that. They have the 12-fold chain of creation in which things arise from other things without being created by something else. That becomes a doctrine that says that nothing arises in itself. Well, there it is. Yeah, nothing except God. I mean, that's that's the definition of God. I mean, yeah, if you reject the creator God, but, you know, I think I, you know, it probably gets into the next episode. And actually, that gets into an argument we've had several times. Yeah, the ontological yeah. proof and stuff, yeah. Yeah, if you need a creator, then who creates the creator? Oh, there you're playing again with words. That's why, I mean, I think that's why the ontological proof, which actually I'm going to try to do an episode on, that works because, I mean, that's the end point. Once you reach the concept of God and that question can't be asked, that's why God has the attribute of existence because you can't go beyond. When your mind Okay, okay. Yeah. So if there can be a being who doesn't require 
being created. Why can't you have an uncreated creation? Well, actually, I think you can. That's the pantheistic view, and I think the ontological proof leads to that. You know, the pantheistic view that the universe is, I mean, it's Christianity, the one that creates the separate creator. But I think rationally, in terms of just what philosophy can give you, all philosophy can give you is a pantheistic view that the universe is the substance of God and that we're essentially thoughts in the mind of God. Yeah, I don't think philosophy can go beyond that without some kind of faith, hope, whatever you want to call it, revelation. Well said. Well said, Val. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Good rebuttal, or whatever it's called. Okay. What do Buddhists call arguments? Well, it's interesting. You know, in the medieval world, there were debates in the time of Aquinas. There were huge debates wherein you had to prove your thesis and anyone could attack it in public. And such was the case with Buddhism as well. The Buddhists refused to demand that you affirm any statement that you do not hold in your mind itself. So they went beyond medieval Christianity. If someone cannot prove a statement such that you would affirm it in your own mind, every individual mind, then it's not true. <laughs> 